On today's episode, our guest is Thomas Bales. Thomas has been an investor for over eight years. He has remodeled over 25 properties himself. He's been part of over a thousand transactions. Thomas is a lender and also has his license as a broker and as an agent. And what I love about Thomas is his passion, his drive, his humble, and also a very strong leader. Real estate investing for you. This is Pod Success. Pod Success. With Joe Arias speaking to investors about the pitfalls and successes of remodels. These are top real estate investors. These are experts in the business. And this is Pod Success. Pod Success. Here is Joe Arias. We're here with Thomas today. Thomas, what a pleasure having you on the show. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thank you for coming. I appreciate it. So Thomas, tell us a little bit about you. You know, give us a little bit of, uh, of who you are and what are you doing today? Yeah. So uh, I started in the real estate business about 10 years ago, actually in the recession, pretty much the worst time mm. to start in real estate. But looking back, it was actually the best time because I learned the right way to do things and it really helped me build my business to where it's at today. So I started, uh, you know, as a loan officer, learned the business and after about two or three years, I decided to start flipping properties. You know, that was always a dream of mine. I thought it was sexy. It gave me a creative outlet. And so I started with one property and it, it kind of got me addicted after the first one. And when was that? How many years ago? That was eight years ago. So in 2012, I bought my first property. It was near Teardown in Angelino Heights, which is a historic part of Echo Park. And uh, I thought it was just going to be one a year. And then it grew to six, eight at a time. And I really scaled it up. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about your, your first project, right? Sometimes the first projects are, you know, the hardest to get in and, and to remodel. Can you tell us a little bit about how was that experience? Fortunately, the realtor who was also a really good friend of mine that brought me the project uh, linked me up with a very knowledgeable construction team. So they kind of helped me through that first one. I definitely went cheap and did like the Home Depot style tile and finishes and stuff, which worked back then. Um, nowadays, buyers are much more sophisticated in design because of Instagram and things like that. So it doesn't work anymore. But uh, on the first project, that construction team really helped me stay on schedule. They helped me source materials and really point me in the right direction. And then from there, I, I really kind of learned it all and I was able to take off. Wow. You know, you mentioned you started eight years ago. Who was Thomas before? Yeah. So Thomas before, so I was the lender, like I said, I had started initially in the recession under a more senior loan officer uh, who kind of taught me the business. I developed a bunch of relationships with realtors, other lenders, and really kind of learned how the market worked. And I think the one good thing about uh, being a loan officer is I saw the mentality of home buyers, you know, the people that would be buying my flips. And I was also able to have some inside knowledge on what people were paying in certain markets, the appraisals that were coming in. So I had some insider knowledge that could help me uh, move quicker and more efficiently. I, I think that we, we, as investors, we learn a lot by osmosis. Either, you know, it's our, our own experience. Maybe we make a mistake or there's an error that we can actually, you know, take it as critical data and like make it make a change. But also we learn from other people making mistakes. As a lender, you know, working, you know, in the brokerage, um, were you able to distill some golden nuggets that help you to become who you are today? Yeah, absolutely. So as a lender, I was able to see 
people's finances, obviously day in and day out, I'm looking at tax returns, bank statements, and I'm seeing what the more affluent and successful uh, individuals were doing with their money and how they were structuring their taxes and things of that nature to help them qualify to purchase real estate and do renovations and grow their portfolio. So I'd say, you know, that firsthand experience I've been able to carry over into my life and kind of implement as well. Got it. You know, learning that from from first time uh, experience, you know, even you're working with someone, so you can always bring that to yourself. Let's talk a little bit about, I, I have a bunch of questions for you in regards to the business, but, you know, I would like to get a little bit about who you are, where you're coming from, uh, where you're born. Maybe tell us a little, a little bit about your, your family. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I was raised by a single mom. Uh, we grew up in El Sereno, uh, which is now a very hot market in Los Angeles that's growing. But back then it wasn't what it is today. Uh, it wasn't as gentrified. So single mom, she was an educator. Of course, she wanted me to go to school. She was a teacher. Uh, she was a principal, actually. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So she really wanted me to go to college, things of that nature. And, uh, you know, after I graduated high school, I tried going the junior college route. And one second, one second. So I want to I talk a little bit more about your mom. What's her first name? Uh, Julie. Julie. Chavez. Julie. Okay. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about Julie. Like where um, a lot of the times our parents teach us some values or anti-values that we use as to do or not to do. You know, did how how did your mother raise you, and 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 how that impacted your uh, in your life as an investor, as an entrepreneur? Yeah, so she was very strict and regimented. We were up at like five or six every morning, and even to this day, I'm up at four thirty, five o'clock, which I actually contribute to a lot of my success because you're able to get a lot done during those hours when no one's bothering you. You know, no one's around. You're just able to really focus. So I'd say that's probably one key takeaway from how my mother raised me. Uh, another thing is she was very, very, she really pushed for like speech and debate during junior high and high school, which kind of also helped me in my professional life, especially not having graduated from college. You really had to be presentable and, and know how to speak to clients and things of that nature. So those are the two major takeaways. With so, the, you know, I'm hearing regimented and also the ability to to form your own thoughts and decisions, right? Exactly. An argument. Exactly. Let's talk about the, the 5, 5 a.m. routine. I, I heard about a lot of successful people talking about the power of waking up. Uh, a lot of people say, well, you wake up at five, I wake up at eight. You know, I just go to bed at, at, you know, three hours later. But, you know, tell us a little bit more about the power of the morning. Why so powerful? Well, you know, like I said, there's just something about people not being out on the street or just it being quiet at your office and no one, no interruptions. You're just able to give whatever that important task is at that point, 100% of your energy and focus and tackle it first thing in the day, which really sets you up for the rest of the day. So what I've always tried to do is pick the top two or three things that I need to accomplish that day and try and knock them out before anyone's even in the office. And then obviously, since I have teams under me, like on my finance business and the flipping business, project managers, construction teams, I'm able to kind of lay up their day before they're even in the office. So when they get in there, they know what they need to be doing. Mm. So you're like, you build inertia. By the time they come, Precisely. you're like, you're able to, to assign tasks so everyone can move, the wagon can move faster. Exactly. Exactly. It just moves much more efficiently. What time do you usually go to bed? Honestly, nine to 10 o'clock. Perfect. Yeah. That's the right time. Yeah. And, um, you know, give us a little bit of the day. Like you work, you wake up at five, 
do you work out? I mean, how do you like, there's, how do you fulfill different departments, you know, well-being and business and yeah, I'm glad you're asking that because uh, it, it took a while for me to learn that you really do need balance. You have so many people talking about you have to have that work-life balance. And it's so true. You know, there was years there where I just went, you know, five years straight with very little vacation, if any. And then fortunately, once my business was established, I was able to start taking vacations. But you, you really have to focus on your mental health. That's for sure. So as far as my day is concerned, when I get up, I usually start with, you know, breakfast, coffee, and a prayer, to be quite honest, um, just to kind of get my day started, get the good energy going. How does the prayer look like? The prayer? Yeah. Um, you know, I'll just thank God for another day, you know, and for all the opportunity that I have in front of me for that day, that year, and just to keep it going. It makes me feel really good to have gratitude. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, going into the day and it just really sets up your day. So for instance, this morning, what, were, what, what, what is in your gratitude list? My gratitude list. So last week I closed on that 12 unit apartment building, which was huge for me. I probably worked on it 90 days, uh, 90 to 120 days as far as escrow lending. And even before that, the entire year trying to find the property. You know, these commercial brokers, you're lucky if they even call you back, <laughs> you know, so I'm um, just still thanking him for that because it was, it took a lot of work. It took a lot of work. And then um, also just a lot of the things that we're working on right now, we have about uh, six projects in the works and we're trying to parlay a lot of those into income properties to grow our passive income. That's really my biggest goal. So just asking for support and favor, you know, through all yeah, that. It's good when things are going well, right? Mm -hmm. it, it is when sometimes things are not going that well that you really like gratitude comes handy. Yeah. Not to like, you know, go not insane, but just to, to really, I feel like we're, we're always swimming with miracles, right? Yeah. And, but we don't see them, mm -hmm. right? One day you don't see them, the other day you see them. So I really appreciate the fact that you're actually working on gratitude. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like that, that is the access to happiness. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, even to this day, I'm trying to just learn more, you know, and, and be more grateful, you know, for everything I do have. Have you, have you heard about the power of visualization or have you ever done it? Is that something that... that yeah, absolutely. So we, we've probably all read the book, The Secret. That was probably a big turning point in my life 10 years ago, where it teaches you to visualize the law of attraction. And I am a big believer in that. My life has completely changed after I started visualizing what I wanted. I did dream boards and I've pretty much obtained like almost everything on my dream board, except a, a private jet, you know, <laughs> but it, it's kind of interesting how that works. So nowadays it's funny because like once you get to a certain point and you start to feel a little bit of success it's easy to forget about the basics you know that helped you get there so to this day i'm still trying to remind myself to you know do those visualizations you know remember the law of attraction and keep everything in the forefront of your mind so that it comes to you yes yeah, so fascinating and and you know this is not something this topic has not come up before so i'm glad that that you're you know you're actually pioneering this topic and i think it's very very powerful what is it about visualization that really transform what and and how does it work yeah so you know i think the power of visualization is since it's always in the forefront of your mind when that opportunity presents itself or is there maybe previously you would have just disregarded it 
or not to have gone, you know, 100% full speed ahead on it, uh, you would have just maybe passed or overlooked it. But because it's in the front of your mind, you're like, oh, hey, you know, I should probably do this. You know, it'll probably help me get to where I want to go. A perfect example is, you know, this podcast, you know, I wanted to start doing more networking, you know, helping other people, sharing my experience so they can leverage it in their lives. And I was really kind of working on that with my uh, media assistant, Shane, here. And uh, it's funny, you guys called me last week, you know, wanting to do this podcast. There's a perfect example, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, you know, my, my powerful mentors, um, they, they always talk about envisioning who you want to become, right? Like even if you don't have the money, right? Dress, dress like how you would see yourself dressing if you would have, if, you know, a, a billion dollars in your bank account. Yeah. You know, maybe not drive the car, but maybe you can actually go to like a dealership and test the car. Absolutely. And, and that, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So tell us about that. How was that? What car did you, did you? It, it's so funny that you say that. So today I'm, I'm, I'm actually a little bit dressed up. Um, but when I started, I used to be in full suits every single day, you know, shirt, tie, pressed. People always complimented me on how I dressed. And the car I drove was like a 1999 Chevy S10 truck. I would park it a block away from the office. It's funny because today, you know, I'm a little more relaxed. I'm able to be myself. And uh, it's funny, I, on Instagram, they did that 10-year challenge. Uh, are you guys familiar with that? Mm -hmm. Where like you post a picture of your life 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. Well, I post a picture of that truck. And uh, last year, I actually got a McLaren 720S, which wow. is like a supercar that I had always dreamed of. So it's just funny how 10 years can change your life, you know, and seeing that side-by-side -side comparison. Yeah. And uh, that's so cool. I love that car. I think that that was Elon Musk's first car. I don't know if that was the model, but the car, he, he loved the McLaren. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so you were, we were talking about visualization and we we're talking about you. Did you go to a dealership when you were driving the Chevy and you were visualizing or? or yeah, absolutely. Tell me, tell me about that one. I think it's, it's absolutely, a good one. Absolutely. I'm sure dealers at one point saw me come in and they're like, oh, great, this guy again. <laughs> but I definitely did do that over the first three to four years. And then around the time I wrapped up my first flip, I finally could afford, you know, a decent Mercedes Benz that I had been looking forward to. I loved AMGs. I'm a big car guy. So mm. I, I, I kind of blessed myself with that car finally. That's awesome. I think that the power on, on visualization is on the frequency, right? We, we all emit frequencies. Our phones do, mm. our TVs, we do. And, and I think that the, the, the visualization helps you to create a frequency that you will match it up. You might match it up in the future when you do achieve that success, but at least you're irradiating that frequency and, and the emotion, right? Uh, they talk about the emotion, yeah. like how do you feel like envisioning that? And the reason why I'm talking about this, because it's important, something we have not talked about. And even though we have, uh, we have modules in our uh, website about visualization, this is something that it's, it's very important to be successful because it's not about it's not about what you have or, you know, when you get there is how, who you're being when you get there, mm -hmm. right? There's like the doing what you do, what you have. And then there's, you know, the way of being who you're being when you get there. You can have all the money in the world, but if you're not happy, exactly, what difference does it make? Okay. Let's bring it up a little bit more to, to the business side, real estate. 
You talked about having an extensive experience in flipping. What value can we bring in flipping to and remodeling to uh, our listeners, our students, pitfalls, things that you've learned in the way, you know, maybe what would you tell yourself, you know, if you have a meeting with yourself 10, 10 years ago, what would you tell, you know, the 10, the 10 year ago, Thomas, that he could have improved on? Yeah. So first off, uh, it, you know, you have to get the flip, right? You could have all the money in the world and all the experience, but if you can't get the project, you're not going to make any money or, or have any properties to flip. So that being said, I'd say step one is really focus on your relationships with realtors and focus on your relationships with owners of properties, even in your neighborhood. You know, I, I can't tell you how many times I've bought properties from my next door neighbors or someone in my neighborhood because, you know, another neighbor told me, oh, they're going to be selling their home soon. Buy it off market right there. So really develop your relationships with your, you know, neighbors in your area uh, so you can be up to date on who's selling, you know, who's divorcing and having to sell the property, who passed away and has to sell a property, you know, those real life events that happen. Next is once you do have your project, always plan on it taking 20% more time and more money. Just plan on it right off the bat. I've made that mistake. You know, sometimes I'll get cocky even to this day and I'll make that mistake, to be quite honest with you. So that would be the biggest component because you do not want to run out of money doing your property and have it sit. Absolutely. So we're talking about, you know, developing, nurturing relationships with realtors, owners of properties and and schedule the breakdown of the 20%, right? Even though you might not, you know, get there, hopefully you don't get there, but schedule that 20% extra in time, money. Um, exactly, that contingency. That contingency. What else do you have? And then next is once you're in the process of building and you have your construction team, have them include the materials in their bids, at least the rough materials. You don't want contractors picking your finishing touches because that's what's going to sell your property. But, you know, copper's copper and electrical wires, wires, electrical wire, you know, have them put that into their bid so that you don't have to worry about, oh, these additional material costs coming up, you know, while you're doing your flip, which blows out your budget. And you'll have a better idea of what your project costs are going to be if you put it on the contractor. And that's one thing I've learned over and I've implemented in the last probably four years. So like what, what the distinction you're, you're talking about is instead of you purchasing the material, have the contractor put it in the scope of work. Exactly, in their bid. Because what I found in my earlier years is I was getting two calls a day from Home Depot, a thousand here, three thousand there. And before you know it, I have 150,000 in material bit uh, costs and another 200K in labor costs, you know? And it's like, whoa, that blew out my budget. So that, that was a very big learning experience for me personally. And it's also a nightmare doing the accounting, you know? on the material side. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that definitely will save you time. Let's talk a little bit more about contractors, mm -hmm. right? I, I know you have a, a vast experience. You know, you have your subs, you have your projects, uh, but a lot of first-time investors don't. So what advice do you have to those, you know, Maybe it's either your fifth, your first or your fifth flip. But, you know, what, what, what things can we, can our, our students and, and listeners be thinking about when hiring a contractor? Yeah. So contractors nowadays are busier than they ever have been. Uh, I have friends that are also in the business that have a hard time getting their, you know, their crews to call them back. So that tells you something right there. So if you're brand new, contractors may not even want to work with you. And if they say they're going to do the job, they may not be as reliable as you'd hope. 
So I would just reiterate to those contractors, whether it's your first or fifth one, that you have other work coming. You may or may not, you know, if you're listening to this, you are going to have more projects coming on the way after your first one or fifth one. So you want to reiterate that to them. So they have an incentive to want to work with you and do a good job for you. Because most of the other projects that they're doing are probably just one-off mom and pop projects. It's going to end right there. But if they see you as something consistent, uh, the chances of them being more reliable and working uh, on the project quicker is probably much higher, at least in my professional opinion. Yeah, I, I see construction is, is the area where the investor is the most vulnerable to lose money. Right. Like you can buy right or you can buy not right. Hopefully that's why you want to get your agent. Right. So you can actually get your number in, in the way in. And then, you know, the market will dictate the market will dictate the price. What about construction? Where things you think can go wrong in construction? Things can go wrong in construction. Mostly these are the two biggest components in construction and flipping and building that I've seen major issues arise. And it's when there's structural work that needs to be done. And when, and the other component is the city, you know, if you're working on hillside, good luck, you know, plan on it taking a year before the city even signs off in your plans. And you're going to make so many trips back and forth just to get those plans approved and jump through a lot of hoops. And a year in flipping is a lot of money. That's opportunity cost right there. I think you you hit on the nail here. I think it's extremely important when you're flipping, when you're remodeling, keep your strategy. I would say, uh, I would love to hear your thoughts. If you're gonna remodel and this is one of your first projects, you know, buy it, close escrow, remodel, and put it back in the market within like three or four months tops. Yeah, I, I agree that that is a good strategy when you can do that. Me personally, I'm typically adding about 500 square feet it's to these properties. Game. So it's a little bit different absolutely. of a strategy. Um, but absolutely, if you can get in and out and, and do that in four months, the quicker, the better. The quicker, the better. You know, we, you know, you're paying lots of different fees. There's taxes there. You know, the longer your construction goes, the more uh, opportunity for, for errors, you know, with your contractor, with the subs. Also, Harmony. Let's just talk a little bit about Harmony. I know you have that background. Give us a little context what Harmony is. Most of us know what it is, but, you know, people might not know exactly what it is. How did you got in, into Harmony and, and what advice can you give investors about Harmony? Yeah, so uh, I was fortunate on my first couple of deals to go traditional financing. But as you start to scale up and try to move quicker and get bigger, you kind of have to use that private money. Uh, it just allows you to do things more efficiently and grow much faster. So that leverage does help. Uh, as far as hard money is concerned, the things that attracted me to it is that it looks at the after repaired value. So rather than looking at just today's value when you purchase it, the lenders are looking at, okay, after you do the repairs that you say you're going to do, what is the property going to be worth? And then they'll lend based on that value, which I really like um, because that allows you a higher leverage, which would help with either the purchase price or some of the repair money. So that's one thing that's great as far as hard money is concerned. Yeah, and I, then obviously they also don't look at your tax returns and things of that nature, just your bank statements. Right. They'll loan you on, on the current price and like you say, the ARV. 
Exactly. Any any pitfalls? I know hard money could be very tricky. Uh, if you can get in and out and have a smooth transaction, excellent. But what are what pitfalls can can investors, first time, second time, fifth time investors can run into? Yeah. So it, it's easy to you know have a lot of deals go well, like your first four or five deals go well, and you're using hard money. But there is going to be that one deal that goes sideways. It's just a numbers game. There's going to be that deal that takes a long time at the city to get the permits approved or some kind of issue. And when that happens and you're paying a 9, 10, 12% interest rate, it's not fun. You know, that's thousands and thousands of dollars you're having to shell out without any incoming revenue. So that's the biggest thing is to make sure that you're prepared with, you know, I'd say four more months than what you expect as far as interest payments on those hard money loans. Because when you run out of money, that's the worst situation to be in. Yeah. I would say that that that's a very important one. I, I would also say, you know, be be careful, you know, your your fees, your points. You know, I've I've experienced from other investors, um, sometimes on your um, on the breakdown, if you if you include it in the loan uh, construction uh, budget, you know, how do they be very careful? How do they um, how do they give you the money throughout the the, the construction? Because I've heard some, a lot of investors having issues getting getting those refunds back after they put the money, they get a loan. So do your due diligence with whoever cons, you know uh, you know hard money lending company. I think that's extremely important. This applies to uh, hard money lenders, and it also applies to contractors. Get at least you know two or three referrals. Don't get the contacts. I I don't suggest Craigslist, even though there's great people there or or websites like that. I think just call your agents, people you trust. Ask for three referrals, right, and meet them. Absolutely, absolutely. That's great advice. Tell tell us a little bit more about that. Any any thoughts about that? Yeah. So the thing that I like about getting two or three. Uh, referrals or bids or quotes on loans is that these people are now competing for each other and competition breeds efficiency and which means it's better for you the consumer you know they'll they'll fight and lower their fees to get the deal uh, or lower their costs on the construction side to get the project so i do think the competition's good and uh, getting two or three referrals is a must excellent and now, the 90-second rapid fire. The 90-second rapid fire. With Joe Arias. Money in one word means? Freedom. Residential or commercial? Commercial. Where's the worst place you could get stuck? A Greece airport. <laughs> Sunset or sunrise? Sunset. Hard money loan or private money loan? Private. I think you answered this one. What time did you go to bed last night? 10 o'clock. Stocks or cryptocurrency? Stocks. One person in the history that you would like to meet? Uh, Dale Carnegie. When you were a kid, you were afraid of? Sharks in the ocean. My father has taught me? Health. My mother has taught me? Regimen. What is your biggest pet peeve? Hygiene. Questions you wouldn't want to be asked? None, honestly. Okay. Getting things on time or getting them right? Right. Profit on your biggest project you sold so far? Half a million. What do you see doing in five years? Collecting rent checks. What do you see doing in 10 years? On a yacht. If your life was a movie, what actor would you play as a lead? Ooh, anything Mark Wahlberg's in. If your house was on fire and you could take two things, what would that be? A portable speaker and my running shoes. Excellent. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> All right, good. Let's continue. You know, you did mention, uh, Thomas, about 
you've been doing a lot of fix and flip. It was sexy when you started. You know, you also did mention a little bit about rentals. Where's your life now? Where Where's the trajectory going? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So obviously the fix and flip game has treated me well. You know, it's allowed, it, it set up a good foundation for me. But uh, over the last years, I realized, hey, you know, I've been so vested in these uh, fix and flips and I'm just cutting checks every month to contractors and everyone. I'm the last one to get paid that on rentals, it makes more sense because even if you have to renovate it and maybe get the rents up, at least you're bringing in revenue. And that finally clicked about a year or two ago. Uh, so I've been trying to really shift my focus or diversify more so into rentals. Mm, diversification, huh? Mm -hmm. So, you know, I have a million questions, but I kind of want to leave the open mic. Let, tell us a little bit about rentals. Why rentals? What are the benefits? You didn't mention about getting money. You know, what is passive income? Is that passive income? Yeah, absolutely. So rentals most definitely are passive income. And the thing that I like about it is on the flips, you know, if you're selling in less than 12 months, you're getting taxed at the maximum tax rate possible, short-term capital gains. Now, if you keep the flip over 12 months, you're now at long-term capital gains, which is better, but not that great. At least with rentals, you can refinance once you've gotten the rents up, renovated it, got the value up, take out that money, which is tax-free because it's a non-taxable event. You're not selling, you're just taking your cash out and you can go buy more properties. So you don't have to worry about that tax bill. And at the same time, you have other people paying off the mortgage, you know, which is great. So that's why I like rentals. It's more tax efficient of found and why I'm trying to shift my focus there. So you're trying to, are you going to stop doing uh, remodels? You know, it's, it's hard, you know, you kind of, you, you, when you have that bug, you see a good project, you're like, oh, I guess I could do this one. I, I'm dealing with it right now. I'm really supposed to be focusing only on apartment buildings. And uh, there are two off market properties in my niche area. And I'm like, well, maybe I could buy one of them or maybe both, you know? So it, it, it's still there. What are the profits in those deals? How much, what's the buy-in? What's the ARV? How much construction budget you think? That For those two off-market yeah. ones? Yeah. So the purchase price would probably be if on one, let's say 800,000, I'd be in at 350,000. For the remodel? Yeah. Oh, wow. But, but uh, we, we do pretty extensive remodels. Uh, the buyers in our markets are very savvy. Uh, they're not buying those Home Depot flips anymore. So you got to know who your buyers are going to be. So that being said, uh, so I'm in it, you know, one, one, five, and I could probably sell it for one, four, one, five. You know, one, 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 five, one, four, you have, you know, agent fees, you know, there's escrow title. I mean, what, what profits do you usually like to, like to do? I honestly aim for a hundred to 200 K for it to be worth my time because I'm spending a lot of time on average because of how extensive our flips are coming because we're adding square footage and dealing with the city. Uh, it's typically a 12 month turnaround from start to sale. So I want to make it worth my time. Absolutely. So hundred would be the minimum. Exactly. And then 200. But a lot of that depends if, if you know, when you put that house in the market, you know, what the needle is going to be doing then. The, so, the needle? The needle of the pricing, yeah, right? Yeah, like, yeah. you know, our price is going to go 5% up or down. 5% mm -hmm. on a million dollar house is $50,000, half of your profit. Yeah. So do you actually include that on your 20% um, that, that you allow or you just say, okay, I think it's going to sell at this price. How do you do your, you know, your, 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 your logical uh, pricing? So when I buy a property, I always do worst case scenario and best case scenario. So uh, throughout the whole course of the project, I'm working off that worst case scenario, which is, you know, the comps when I bought it, 
discounted by about five to 10%, depending on like what market. Uh, just so I know, hey, worst case scenario, am I even going to make any money, break even where I'm at? Mm. And that's how I'm making decisions. You just think about the worst case scenario and then you make it. So the worst case scenario would be a $100,000 profit. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then a medium case might be 150 or 200. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of these I have partners. So we're, we, you know, that's why I like to aim for 200K. Yeah. Let's talk about that. I think that's a good topic. I'm glad you mentioned the word partners. How do you usually structure your deals? Do you bring investors? Uh, do you bring some private money lenders? Do you put your own money and you get a hard money lender? How do you tell us a little more about that? You know, it, it, it varies, you know, in real estate development, sometimes you're super flush, got tons of capital of your own. And sometimes you're in between projects and something comes up that you really can't let pass by. So as often as I can, and especially on the most profitable deals, I try to use my money solely with your traditional and conventional financing. Now, if for some reason the property doesn't qualify for that financing, I'll go hard money. And uh, I have plenty of hard money relationships uh, that help me purchase those. Now, there are some prop projects, like I said, where it's you're kind of just in between. You know, you, you really don't want to go the hard money route. You, you don't want to use all your capital at that moment. Uh, I'll bring on partners, uh, but they'll be silent partners. So pretty much I will do the project management, the acquisition, everything. Uh, and all they are is investing capital. And on average, it's between 200 to 300,000. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. And how do you usually structure a deal with a, with a, with a silent partner? Do you sell 50% of, of the LLC or this trust or the corp, S corp, whatever, however you structure it or, or. It's all negotiable, but the most common is 50, 50. Yeah. They bring in all the capital, uh, or a majority of it and then get 50% of the profit. And it makes sense that you, you know, in a longer project that you wouldn't want to use a harmony lender. Exactly. Right. Because, you know, hard money, as I said, is they're great to get in and get out. Exactly. Right? Like you're using someone, someone else's money, a company, you know, uh, private sector's money, you use it. And then th there's, you know, 10% down, 15%, 20%, sometimes 5% down. Yeah. And you got to be out. But for the longer projects, if you're adding, a, if you have an addition, a 500, you know, uh, square feet addition, or if you are, you know, turning the garage into like, you know, in a dwelling unit, uh, ADU, you know, there might be a little bit of a longer process. How do you structure it? You say, okay, I'm going to get a hard money lender if my remodel is three months, but I want, I'll do, I'll do, you know, traditional. If it's, how do you go about that? Yeah. So for the, usually the larger the profit, the more traditional financing I'll want to get uh, and longer term because I want to hold it that 12 month mark so that I'm not getting taxed at the max tax rate. Because, you know, getting taxed 50% on 200K, you're only making 100K now. Whereas if you just wait a few more months, you're now only getting taxed at 15 or 20%. So on the more profitable projects, I will try and use conventional financing so our carrying costs are lower so we can see it across that 12-month mark. But on the quick ones where we just kind of want quick money, we will use hard money. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And that's like six months I'd say max. Got it. Six months, months. We talked about, you talked about a, a $500,000 profit mm -hmm. project. Was that, a, uh, that was a residential, I assume? Uh, it actually was a seven unit apartment oh, building. Wow. Yeah. Commercial. Yeah, it was, it was, it was a seven unit apartment building. But now that I think about it, I did have a two unit, uh, which is residential mm -hmm. that I made, I bought for 530. And after a year and a half of holding it, I netted, I sold it for one, three, four, five. I probably put in about 345. So I'd say that's about 470K profit. That's something like that. That's pretty yeah, good. Yeah. Do you also save your uh, your commissions as an agent? 
so I've always been a very loyal client, you know, half, most of the time, you know, the agent that will bring it to me, I will relist with it. Funny thing is that that person was my brother for the longest time, but now he's doing his own flips, which mm. I'm happy for. We kind of have like a friendly rivalry, brotherly mm -hmm. rivalry going on. Older or younger? He's younger. What's his so name? I brought him into the business, Travis. That's right. So you yeah. have a, a little thing with Travis where, yeah. you know. And it motivates you. It pushes you, you know? Of course. It's nice. Of yeah. course. Competition's yeah. good. Yeah. It's always good. Yeah. So he used to sell them uh, and it's... Uh, but once he kind of got into his own projects, I kind of started outsourcing it to other friends that were realtors, but it very established. Now my business plan is changing completely where, uh, you know, my girlfriend, long-time girlfriend, I got her license so she can represent me on the buy Brilliant. and the sale. Cause I just realized I really gave away probably like one and a half million in commissions mm -hmm. over the last eight years. Mm -hmm. When I did the math, I was like, wow, I'd be rich yep. just off that. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That, and I, I really appreciate uh, the fact that you're bringing, you know, family, people that you trust, like you talked about Travis, you know, you talk about, uh, what's your girlfriend's name? Morgan. Morgan. You know, you, you just you know brought up Morgan. I, and I truly appreciate that because I think that that's a very good idea to work with people that you trust. Absolutely. And people that you love, people that you can grow, people that you can make mistakes and, you know, maybe it will be a, you know, a rough time at the time, but then it will pass. You know, we have a lot of our students that they have, you know, they, they have their spouses or their partners or their family members. And, and I, we, we, we really, um, we really support that and, and we embrace that and we appreciate that working with people we love. So, Morgan was not in the business, I assume, right? So she's from Nevada. Okay. She was licensed there. She'd done like a handful of deals. Oh, okay. Uh, and then she moved out here to be with me. And, uh, you know, I was running the businesses. She was kind of taking care of the household, which was nice. Uh, but I was like, you know what? You should come work with me. You know, you're smart. You're you're pretty. I, people are going to like you. You're a good per, uh, per people person. Mm -hmm. Why not? You're social. Uh, yeah, social. So why don't we get you out there? So uh, she actually just started uh, in January at Sotheby's and Los Feliz. Wow. Uh, which is literally a block away from my office. So that's kind of cool. Too. How's that coming along? Uh, we're getting ready to list two properties, two projects here in the next 60 days. So we'll find out. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a great idea. Yeah. To have like someone that you, that you love and someone that, you know, that your girlfriend have lists, she will be listing your properties. Exactly. Yeah. And then do you like, she's gonna, is she doing a 2.5% to you or are you get how, do you, what? We do haven't you have had that discussion yet. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I'll, I'll let you know how that goes. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Maybe you can like create an account together and like that could go there and you guys can share it or it could, should go all to her, but you know, I'll leave that to we'll you. Figure we'll out. figure it out. Okay. <laughs> awesome. Thomas, anything else that you know, we'll definitely give your information uh, very soon, uh, how people can reach out to you. Before we go there, is there anything that, that maybe I didn't ask you that you would like to share to the audience? Honestly, the one thing I can say is there's so many people that talk about things they want to do, things they want to accomplish, but they never even try. So to anyone that's listening to this, whatever you're thinking of doing or whatever idea you have, just go do it. You know, chances are you can try something and fail 10 times and still be okay and make it, you know, and be successful at the end of it all. Uh, so just go out there and do it. Just do it. Just do it. Just do it. Awesome. So Thomas, how can our listening reach out to you? Uh, do you have an Instagram? They can, can they follow you? Absolutely. So on Instagram, I'm real state of mind, LA. And then my website is www 
www.realstateofmind.la. Can you repeat that again one more time? Absolutely. www.realstateofmind.la. And your Instagram? Realstateofmind.la. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, Thomas, thank you. Thanks again for having, for coming here and, and we'd love to have you and truly a pleasure, a pleasure to meet you. And uh, to all our listeners, thank you so much for hearing our pod success and uh, stay tuned.